with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at How Stuff Works, and I love technology. And you know what I also love? I love consumer electronics. And this year, 2018, was a little bit of an odd one already. I mean, we're just in the very beginning of it as of the recording of this podcast, and it's already an odd year because for the first time since 2008, I stayed home during the annual CES event in Las Vegas. I had been every single year since 2008, and 2018 was the first time that I did not go. So for those who do not follow tech news and may not know what CES is, it's a big trade show. And it used to be known as the Consumer Electronics Show, but the organizers have slowly kind of moved away from that name. They felt that it might be a little restrictive. It doesn't really encompass everything that goes on at the show. Uh, But it is an enormous trade show that takes over not only the Las Vegas Convention Center's 3.2 million square feet of space, but also other places like the Sands Expo Center or numerous suites and various hotels up and down the Las Vegas Strip, as well as several tents and temporary buildings on the outskirts of these locations. So at this show, companies display products. Some of them are already available in stores, so you might see things that you are already familiar with. Some of them are things that are scheduled to debut in the near future, so it might be uh, the newest television that's going to hit store shelves in the spring of that year. Some of them are prototypes or concepts that don't represent a specific future product, as in you're never going to see that specific thing on sale, but rather they have potential future implementations for certain types of technology incorporated into them. So in other words, you might see a concept car, and you're never going to see a car that looks like that on a lot of a of a dealership. But you might see elements that are incorporated into the car worked into various car lines in the future. It's like that, but with all different types of technology, not just vehicles. Typically, there are a lot of cool things you can see on the showroom floor, but there are also tons of more mundane products. So... You might see some really cool robots or 3D printers or things like that, but you're also going to see a lot of stuff that, you know, it has a place, but it's just not as sexy or exciting, like cell phone cases or television wall mounting frames. The purpose of the trade show primarily is to connect manufacturers or companies with retailers and then to a lesser extent connecting the press to this big event. But primarily it's about the people who make stuff and the people who sell stuff getting together and saying, yes, that stuff you make, I want to sell it in my store. That's the main purpose of it. And when I say that, that's a very simplistic way of of talking about deals that are enormous. We're talking about enormous chains that are have global presence, talking to big manufacturers that also have a global presence. So we're we're talking big, big business. And a very tiny bit of that happens to be the press who are there to cover everything. Uh, I say this because as a member of the press, I am aware that we are pretty prone to forgetting that we're a small part of this equation. And we often start to think of CES as our own playground or that it's meant for the press to get the word out. When in reality, that's just one tiny element of it. Uh, That's more of just a gentle prodding at some of my peers in the tech space who get 
a little huffy about the uh, the way that press can be treated at these events. Though, to be fair, sometimes the press can be treated pretty badly. It all just depends upon the situation at the time. Now, the way CES tends to work is that there are a couple of days reserved for press events and news conferences, and these days happen early on. Uh, on those days, the show floor remains closed except for special events. So you can't go in and look at all the different booths at that time because those teams are all out at various press conferences to give announcements of what they're going to be showing that week. Uh, the press also tend to be at those announcements looking at the different uh products that will be on display and kind of planning out where they're going to go while the show floor is actually open. The focus will shift to numerous conference rooms and ballrooms and various Las Vegas conference centers, like the one in Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay, as I recall, is the current location for all the press events. In previous years, it's been at the Venetian and other places, uh, but right now it's at Mandalay Bay. Now, these events give companies the chance to address large groups of tech press before the madness of the show itself begins. And there are also a few smaller preview events. Uh, there's one called CES Unveiled, and there are others as well. These little events give the press a chance to see some of the products that will be on display, but in a smaller setting than the showroom floor. Uh, so that gives the press the chance to see some of these products before things just get super chaotic. And it might mean that you see something that you would otherwise overlook because it would just get lost in a sea of technology and people. Now, for most people going to CES, the event doesn't really begin until the showroom floor itself opens, which is typically a day or two after the first press events. This year, the showroom floor opened on Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. Now, as I said, I did not go to the show this year, but there has been a ton of coverage about things that were on display. So I thought today we'd go over some of the trends, the products, and weirdness that was 2018. Because, trust me, every single year, weird stuff happens at that show. And I thought I'd start off with something that was from that third category, the weird category. We're going to talk about rain and electricity. So on that first day, Tuesday the 9th, Las Vegas was the site of a rainstorm which doesn't sound like a big deal, except it had not rained in Las Vegas for 116 days up to that point. And the rains caused a flash flood in the city. And there were reported leaks in the convention center, which you do not want if you happen to have millions of dollars worth of electronics stored in there. There was a pavilion that Google had set up outside that had to be closed down early due to the weather. And from what I understand, getting around Las Vegas was even more of a headache during that rainstorm than it is during a normal CES, which, trust me, is pretty darn bad. It is not easy to get from one spot to another in Las Vegas during CES. Uh, all the the different arteries are clogged with traffic. The rain messed stuff up a bit on that first day, but the show must go on. And so everything continued, though I'm sure more than a few booths were struggling to have everything in place in time for the first visitors walking through the convention center, just because it took longer to get to the convention center than it normally would. Then on Wednesday, January 10th, the show hit a more frustrating snag. For a couple of hours, the South Hall of the Las Vegas Convention Center lost power. The Central Hall also lost power, but for a shorter amount of time. And this is where a little geography lesson comes in handy. 
The Las Vegas Convention Center has three main halls. There's a North Hall, a Central Hall, and then the South Halls, technically, because it's two floors. The North Hall is where you're going to find most of the automotive tech on display. And there's some related technologies like vehicle sound systems and other aftermarket products and a few other things, but that's typically what you find in the North Hall. The Central Hall is where most of the big, big brand names have their booths. This includes companies like Sony, Panasonic, Intel, and LG. Some of those booths are truly gigantic, taking up as much space as a dozen or so smaller booths would. The South Hall, like I said, has two floors, so it's a a bottom floor and a top floor, and has more big names in it, as well as some medium and smaller-sized companies. And depending upon the year, the South Hall can also host some of the zones at CES. Now, zones represent general categories of technology. In recent years, CES has moved some of those zones to a different convention center called the Sands Expo Center, but the South Hall is still packed with tons of booths. So when the Central and South Halls lost power, that was a really big deal. Now, many of these booths have monitors, computers, televisions, and other gear plugged into the building's electrical system. And there are tens of thousands of people in the Las Vegas Convention Center at any given time during the open showroom floor hours. The power shut off at approximately 11.15 a.m. local time, just as the show was supposed to be getting going. Like it was, it was the show floor had opened. Things were starting to move. There was some hustle and bustle and then the power goes out. The convention center was able to restore power to the South Hall after a few minutes, but the Central Hall presented more of a challenge and the power outage lasted a couple of hours. So I think I actually misspoke earlier where I said the South Hall came back, uh, or after a couple of hours in the Central Hall and the, after a couple of minutes, it's really the other way around. Uh, this is what happens when I don't go to CES. I mix up the halls. But the Central Hall out of power, and that was a big deal. Now, a lot of those booths also had their own generators, so they were able to have like little islands of light in a sea of darkness. But you might wonder, what was the cause of the power outage in the first place? Why did the power go out? Well, it was all that darn rain from the day before. According to an official statement, the rain caused condensation to form on a transformer for the convention center, eventually causing what is called a flashover. A flashover is also known as an arc flash, and this gives us the opportunity to learn about arc flashes before we jump into news about robots and TVs and stuff. So, what is an arc flash? Well, first, an electrical arc is the phenomenon of a luminous bridge of electricity formed between two electrodes. An arc flash happens when a fault or short circuit passes through the arc gap, or to put it another way, an arc flash is when an electric current diverts from its intended path to leap from one conductor to another, or it could also happen from a conductor to the ground, and it goes through the air in a really powerful electrical discharge. The term short circuit refers to a case where there's an unwanted connection between a circuit, or within a circuit rather, that allows current to pass through that unwanted connection. It's kind of like, well, it's like a short cut. That's why it's called a short circuit. You're having a pathway that you didn't intend electrons to pass through, and suddenly the electrons can and will go through it. Generally speaking, electronics work by directing electricity through specific pathways, and that provides power to various elements, and that's how the electronics work. So if you create conductive connections between those pathways, suddenly electricity can travel a different way than what you had intended. And typically, short circuits can damage circuits. They can lead to overheating, 
They can get hot enough to start a fire, or even with a powerful enough electric discharge, they can cause an explosion. Arc flashes can often be on the serious side of that spectrum. Uh, Typically, it only happens if the voltage is above 120 volts, and during an arc flash, an intense amount of energy can be released. An arc flash can produce heat of up to 35,000 degrees Fahrenheit and produce a concussive force called an arc blast that depending on the situation, can be strong enough to rupture your eardrums or even cause your lung to collapse. So it's an incredibly dangerous situation. So this arc flash shorted out part of the electrical system to the convention center, and that necessitated a repair job. To the credit of everyone involved, the system was back online within a couple of hours, but two hours lost during a massive trade show is no small problem. Companies spend a significant amount of money to secure show floor space for CES. Every hour, representatives are trying to make connections with potential customers and with the press. Going offline for two hours just at the start of things wasn't a great way to begin the show. Now, that's not to say CES 2018 was a show of doom and gloom. There there were some setbacks, but most of the reports I read seemed to suggest people took it in stride for the most part. And once the power came back on, everyone was back in business. Or at least they were once they could get their tech up and running again after the unplanned power cycle. A few trends became evident during this year's CES, and one of those was incorporating fingerprint scanners into technology. Several products at the show sported fingerprint scanners. One of them was a smartphone from Vivo, which actually went a step further. Its fingerprint scanner is built into the screen of the phone itself, so there's not a dedicated sensor area that's either on the front or the back of the phone or anything like that. You just put your finger on the proper spot on the screen, and assuming your fingerprint matches the one in the phone's memory, you access the device. So how does that work? How can you access just through a screen? Well, there's a sensor underneath the screen, and it was created by a company called Synaptics. Uh, It's just below the display itself. So if you think of the phone as a stack with the screen, the the glass on on the top being the very top layer, Below that, you have the display. Below that, you would have the sensor from Synaptics. And it could actually scan a fingerprint through the gaps presented between the OLED dots. Those are the elements that actually generate the pixels on a screen. So the spots between the little elements that would generate the light that creates the image on your phone, that was the scanner, the sensor. And it can scan your fingerprint. And according to a report from The Verge, the sensor may find its way into several smartphones throughout the course of 2018 and beyond, giving designers the opportunity to make phones and not have to set aside space for a dedicated fingerprint scanner on the front or back of the handset. So it frees up design a little bit. Now, when I went to CES in 2017, I couldn't help but notice that Alexa was everywhere. And I apologize if I'm setting off your Alexa. Uh, I won't give it really bad commands. Don't worry. But lots of companies were incorporating Amazon's Assistant into their products in 2017. This year, the story was more about Google and the Google Assistant. Google typically doesn't have a booth at CES. Instead, people from Google will attend the show in order to network with various executives from other companies or to appear side by side with other companies that have a joint project with Google. And this year, Google sponsored that large outdoor pavilion, the one I talked about earlier that had to be shut down early during the rain. 
Well, that pavilion's focus was all on the Google Assistant feature that's found in Android phones and Google Home devices. It also looked like it was a lot of fun. It had a big twisty slide on it, and so I'm kind of sad I missed it. Both Alexa and Google Assistant can be found in numerous devices. Sometimes both of them can be found in the same devices, including televisions, speakers, headphones, and light switches. So if you can't control your favorite gadgets with a vocal command yet... That could change in a couple of iterations of those products. There were a lot of other trends at CES 2018, ranging from another fleet of smart cars, some of which are autonomous, to robots designed to do everything from guard your house to comforting a sick child. We'll look at some of those specific items in this episode. But before we dive into more detail on what went down at CES 2018, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. back and now i'm joined by a good friend of the show shannon morse of hack5 fame who unlike yours truly actually went to ces 2018 shannon welcome back to tech stuff hi jonathan thank you for having me on yeah thank you for joining even though uh, just in full disclosure shannon might sound a tiny bit congested because she's fighting off the last remaining remnants of what we call con crud Yeah. Just a basic respiratory cold that people tend to come down with when you have, I don't know, like a 100,000 people in an enclosed space for several days at a time. It happens. Yeah, it was it was 175,000 people, at least. That's the estimate I was told while I was at the convention. But yes, uh, I came down on the very last day with the con crud, woke up the day after and I was just like, oh, I am not going into work today. That's definitely not happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you're based out of the Bay Area over in California. Yeah. So so it was a bit of a travel, you know, travel time for you as well between Vegas and there. And then, of course, you also had the the additional uh, issues that happened this year. Were you there when the great deluge, the rainstorm was coming down? <laughs> Yeah, I was. It was crazy. Um, nobody knew how to drive in the rain, even though it was only like one or two inches of rain. No one knew, really knew how to drive in it in Vegas because they never get rain. And one of the roads turned into a river and the Las Vegas Convention Center started leaking. So they had to close some of the uh, walkways inside the convention center so that people wouldn't walk around in like slushy carpet. It was terrible. Wow. And then the next day, the lights went out. Yeah, we, I talked about that earlier in the episode about how it appears that a uh, uh, some condensation formed on the inside of a transformer at the Las Vegas Convention Center and caused an uh, <laughs> a, what is called a a a, a flash out where you have an essentially a short circuit in an arc. Oh. Where, yeah, it, was re- it ended up being a physics lesson for all of my listeners because I was like, <laughs> well, I can't talk about CES because I wasn't there, but I can talk about what happened at the <laughs> made the lights go out. Well, I was in the middle of the convention center. Ironically, I was in a meeting with Panasonic about their low light camera when the power (laughs) went out. So I was able to test the camera in the low light setting since no lights were on. Gosh, that's a, (laughs) and it worked quite well. That's a heck of a demo right there. You know, I know. It's like nicely planned, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who cares if it tends to, you know, put everyone else out? I mean, come on. This is. 
you know, we're talking about important products here. Speaking of well, that sort of stuff. Crazily enough, yeah. um, one of the people I overheard while I was listening to my B-roll much later on, uh, I was just walking around the convention hall and one of the vendors was talking to one of his coworkers and said that they lost out on about a million dollars of revenue, one million dollars for just the two hours that the power was out. So that gives you an estimation of how much the big booths cost. I already know that the, some of the smaller booths cost $80,000. So so the it's crazy how much these people pay mm-hmm. to have a booth on the show floor and to have the power out for two hours. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a deterrence uh, for the the revenue that you're bringing in just from all the free advertisement that you're getting. Well, yeah, and, and I mentioned earlier in the episode about how the whole purpose really. I mean, we we you and I, Shannon, we often think of it as well. Here's I, my job as media is to go in, find the cool stuff, bring it forward, talk about it, analyze it, give my take, that kind of thing. But really, when yeah. you get down to it, the real purpose of the show is essentially con, uh, connecting the companies what make stuff with the companies what sell stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, when you when you can't connect with anybody for a couple of hours and you've spent that much money to have a presence there, that is not a good thing to have on your little Excel spreadsheet at the end of the year where you're saying, yeah, so here's how much we spent. And uh, that two hours of downtime cost us this X amount effectively because we weren't able to have those sort of meetings and those sort of conversations that we normally would have had during that time. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's not great. I mean, uh, but but. I want to concentrate on things that actually did happen as opposed to all the meetings that could not happen during those two hours. <laughs> so first thing I'm going to ask you is, did you see anything at CES? I, I typically will notice some themes popping up year over year, whether it's a type of technology that's starting to get some traction, like, you know, smart TVs that and 3D TVs. Those were big themes for many years ago now. Uh, was there anything like that this year, whether it was a specific kind of technology or some sort of implementation that you noticed while you were there? Uh, yes, there absolutely was. This year we saw a um, mind-boggling amount of people promoting items that had voice assistance technology built in, whether you needed it or not. Mm, so so <laughs> I'm sure there were some incidents where you're thinking, okay, that makes sense. But were there were there any where you're just thinking – this is clearly a gimmick. It just doesn't, I mean, there's no demonstrable value added to the product by having voice activation in here. Right, exactly. Um, so for example, uh, Anchor came out with this really cool little car plug. It plugs into the little cigarette lighter in your car and it offers you Alexa implementation through your car's speakers. And I thought that was really cool because it gives you that ability, mm-hmm. uh, in your car, even if you have a very old car that still doesn't have like Bluetooth built in or something like that. Plus you get Alexa, so you can just ask, ask it things like, Hey, call mom or whatever. Um, which I thought was really nice. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, things like LG's refrigerator, which has a built in voice assistance. So you can stand in front of your fridge and ask it, am I out of milk? And it'll tell you whether or not you have milk in your fridge. And to me, that seems so pointless because you if you're already standing in front of your fridge, you could open your fridge and find out if you have milk inside, not to mention the screen on the front of the LG refrigerator is transparent. So you can make it go transparent and you can actually look inside without even opening the fridge. So what's the point of having the voice technology? Like why 
why can't you just look in the fridge without having to ask it to look in the fridge for you? <laughs> I think the only the only use case I can come up with off the top of my head is if it's an accessibility uh, issue. So, for example, if I were visually impaired, then maybe then I could argue mm. that, oh, it saves me the trouble. But then you're talking about something that pertains to a very narrow uh, slice of the overall market. You're talking about a market for people who are in the market for a refrigerator. They want to buy the best of the best that's out now. And they have right. have some sort of uh, impairment from, uh, with their vision. And then you're thinking, well, if you start adding all those up, obviously that doesn't make sense from a business standpoint to incorporate the, the voice activation into your product. So I agree it, with you. Yes. It seems like an additional expense that most people will probably just think of like, oh, well, I have to pay for this if I want this other cool feature that I'll actually use. Right. Uh, like, that's what happened to me when I bought my last car. <laughs> I didn't want the leather seats, but I got them because I wanted the car to park itself. I mean, that's well, that's what ended up happening. That, that to me is <laughs> that to me is the argument about 3D televisions, right? Like there were so right. many people who said. I don't want 3D, a 3D television. I'm never going to use that, but this television has the resolution I want or the, you know, the refresh rate I want, whatever it might be. And it's at the price that I need. Uh, you know, now we're not seeing 3D TV pr pushed nearly as hard as we were like five, six years ago. But, uh, I had heard that voice activation was a big deal. And, um, it's good to hear confirmation that that wasn't just some sort of, you know, one person's experience at CES. It sounds like it was pretty much everywhere. I did hear that Google had its own pavilion set up and that they, they, were, did, yes. they were heavily promoting Google Assistant. Yes, they were. I, I got a very, very short, limited time over there where I was able to walk through the voice assistance room and they had a whole bunch of different devices, uh, set up and modeled just to show like all the different types of devices that you can currently get voice assistance technology in. They included a fridge out there. They included a bunch of different speakers, some things with screens built in. Lenovo built a thing that has a screen built into it, which is interesting, but I have no use for lots of phones. Uh, lots of different technology like that, mm -hmm. uh, which was very cool. You can tell that Google is really, really trying to catch up with Amazon right now. But and you would think just from all the advertisement from CES this year that Google took over everything. But when you step inside the Las Vegas Convention Center or the Sands Venetian Convention Center, Everything still has Alexa built in. So I think Google, even though they spent all this money on this awesome pavilion, and they do have a lot of really cool uh, technologies being implemented in a bunch of different devices, they still have a ways to go to catch up with Amazon, uh, which is interesting because Google takes over pretty much everything in the world other than this voice assistance technology. So they're still catching up. Yeah, and I've noticed that Google, their implementations of certain technologies tend to really follow that kind of engineering mindset. So people who kind of have that that way of thinking, it clicks with them and it really resonates with them. But for anyone else, it can seem uh, daunting or it can seem unnecessarily complicated. Because I look at I look at some of the products that Google's come out with over the years that didn't go very far, like Google Glass ultimately didn't go very far, except that now it's being incorporated into uh, the industrial world and it's like, like in manufacturing and stuff like that. And there it's doing quite well. But as yeah. a, as a consumer product, it never quite caught on or things like Google Wave, which I still miss, even though I was maybe one of three people who found a way to use it. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I look at that and I think they come up with great ideas, 
they have this they have this habit of coming up with great ideas that other companies are able to capitalize on. Right. Um, so, uh, but th- they're still a huge powerhouse. They're still incredibly influential. And uh, and I do think that Google Assistant obviously is going to find its way into more stuff. And it may very well be one of those things where it finds itself side by side with Alexa. I heard that there were a lot more products out there that had both, like had uh, interoperability oh, yeah. with both. Uh, uh, Panasonic is a great example. Again, during their uh, press conference, they were talking about adding not just Google Assistant's technology, but Amazon's uh, Echo technology as well, both voice assistants through car manufacturers. So Panasonic is working with both of them to bring that ability to all sorts of different manufacturers at the same time. So we're not really, while they are competition with each other, we're not seeing a lot of other brands associating with just one or the other. Well, that's nice. I I like that we're not seeing sort of an exclusivity kind of thing, because then uh, the more times times you see that exclusivity issue, the more you get channeled into this idea that you have to buy into a specific infrastructure. And the, thus, all of your buying decisions get based upon whatever it was you bought into first. Right. right. Like, which is exactly in my household. That's how my, me and my wife are. Becca, she uses an iPhone. So Apple is, makes way more sense for her because, because everything works properly with it. I am an Android user, and so I avoid all the Apple stuff because it just doesn't play well, very well with yeah. my, my things. And uh, it's it's not like one – I don't think one is inherently better or worse than the other. But once you buy in, it's really hard to convince yourself to go somewhere else because it's just so much work to get everything to to work together properly, like whether you're porting information over or – you just have to learn a new way of interacting with your technology. Uh, that can actually be a pretty high barrier to entry. So seeing companies say, you know what, we're going to we're not going to worry about that mess. We're not going to worry about these exclusivity issues. We're going to incorporate both. And then whichever platform ends up winning out in the long run, we we're OK because we supported both of them. We're not going to go obsolete because we backed the wrong horse. We don't want to see an HD DVD versus Blu-ray kind of situation. Right. You know. <laughs> Um, before I move off of Google Assistant, I do have one other question for you that is extremely relevant for this. Okay. <laughs> did you, did you go down the slide? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, shucks. You know, I, th- I think I didn't see anybody else going down it when I was in that area. So I'm wondering if it was only open to like invitees or something like that. Yeah. Cause n- none of the attendees I saw, including myself, were, were going down it. Yeah. The picture, I, picture I saw, it looked like it was, the one way to get down from the top platform, but I didn't see any ways of getting up the top platform. So you may well there be right. There was another way. There were stairs on the back of it. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's good because otherwise you'd have to be extremely determined to make your way up to the top. It would require <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, uh, positioning and, and wedging yourself and chimneying up. Uh, yeah. So yeah, for those who don't know, you should definitely go and do an image search for the Google Pavilion at CES. They had a big, like, uh, twisty slide that went from the top of their pavilion down to the bottom. It looked like it was about maybe two and a half, three stories tall. It was pretty big. Yeah, just about. Yeah. yeah it was pretty big. So was there anything there that you saw at CES that got you really excited? Uh, I, it, it, this is a tough question to ask people who cover CES as media because we can quickly become jaded because we see so much of the same stuff over and over. 
And we often see things at CES that are never going to happen. Like right. you see prototypes that are just like, oh, look what we can do, but we're never going to do this because we won't get funding to do it. Yeah. So it's always tough to say like, oh, this is a thing I'm really excited about. But one thing I actually saw that is coming to market, I believe in February, but don't quote me on that, is um, the HTC Vive Pro. And it's like my number one device from the show because I've been really getting into virtual reality lately and I've been able to test a whole bunch of different headsets. So the Vive Pro is like my number one at the moment for video gaming. I got to play raw data on it and the resolution truly, truly is like 78% better than the old one as they quote. And it was so, so pretty. Wow. Yeah, I've had only a little bit of experience you know, working experience with VR, because uh, it, it requires a pretty hefty uh, investment on the part of the consumer in that you need to have a decent computer uh, and a uh, obviously you need to have a space set aside for it. But the experiences and the equipment that have been coming out over the past maybe 18 months or so has been really, really impressive. And to know that they're continuing to invest in that and improve on the experience is encouraging. I, I often ask myself the question at the beginning of every year now, it's kind of my standard question. There, there are two really. Uh, the first question is, is this the make or break year for VR slash AR, right? Is this the year where, right. where we finally say, yes, this is a consumer technology or no, this is just going to be an experiential thing that you go somewhere and then you get to put on the ha- headset and everything and you play, but then you leave. Or the, the question number two is, is Moore's Law finally ending this year? Those are the two that I end up asking <laughs> myself every year. And so uh, I, it's good to hear that this was a, a, a positive experience. Now, is this a uh, a tethered headset or is this one untethered? So this one is tethered as well, but they also introduced a wireless adapter, ah. an accessory that you can use with both the old HTC Vive as well as the new Vive Pro. So if you plug that in, you can go untethered and you don't have to worry about a cable hanging down your back and accidentally getting stepped on or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't get to t- uh, test the wireless adapter. They didn't have that plugged in when I got to play with it, but I did just get to play with the wire, uh, the Vive Pro while it was tethered to a computer. And of course, the computer that I was playing on had like the best GPU on the market. So <laughs> it looked beautiful and it was really smooth and buttery and everything like that. But it, it also sounded good and the gameplay was easy, especially when you have that nice resolution. So it, it makes it look more realistic to you mm-hmm. and you're not paying as much attention to the pixels, which you can still see. They're still there right in front of your face. But since it is more comfortable, since it was a more engaging uh, experience because of that higher resolution, you don't pay attention to it as much. And, um, Vive or HTC is doing something really good here. Like they're making a really nice, noticeable increase in performance from the old one. And I think they were listening to a lot of the complaints from previous users. Uh, I just hope that this new one doesn't cost a lot. And that's, that's something I'm concerned about because they haven't, uh, announced the price at all. And the old one, I believe with all the components was like 600 bucks. Right. The new one could be, just the headset alone because of all the uh, upgrades. So hopefully it's not that expensive because nobody's going to buy it just by itself. Right. I hope it would be something like $500 or less so that it would be easy to upgrade, sell the old Vive headset if you have an old one, and then you could just keep all of your old uh, components. Yeah. Yeah. That is, to me, that's probably the, the 
largest barrier to entry is that price point. Because again, when you combine combine it with the computer that you need to to run it, assuming you don't already have one, if you've already got a really good gaming rig, then you're set. You know, you're good. You've yeah. got a, if you've got a VR ready uh, PC, then that part is you've already made that investment. For someone who's just getting into it from scratch, you're talking about almost two thousand dollars in order to have both the right, machine exactly. to run it. Yeah, that's a lot to ask. Uh, but it sounds like the experience was really compelling. So if the if if more people can get a chance to try it out, they might be able to make that argument for themselves that it's it's worth that kind of cost to get into the world of VR. It's also, I mean, this is a really tricky thing. It's again, going back to 3D televisions until you experience it, it's how do you sell it? Right. Because you can't just show video to people because the whole, the whole uh, appeal to this is the actual experience of being inside a virtual environment and getting to do stuff. And we're all used to watching video. I mean, that's not to us, that's not that special. So it's 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 a tough sell like you really have to get people out there and trying it and uh have that little light bulb click on like oh this is why it's a big deal uh yeah i agree with you that's tough uh but it sounds like it's i like that you're optimistic about it though because i want to see vr succeed uh i've wanted to see vr succeed since the 90s when it had its initial crash. After, oh, like the virtual boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it still hurts. It still hurts. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tell this story all the time on tech stuff, but there used to be a little kind of like an arcade. It was like a, a game experience thing at a local mall here in the Atlanta area. And my family would go down to this mall and I would just take like 10 bucks and go to this place. And it was a VR gaming center. And you would go and stand in line, and then you would get on this little pedestal thing. They would lower an incredibly bulky helmet suspended by cables from the ceiling because it was too heavy to just put on your head. Oh, jeez. And then you would play the Dactyl Nightmare game, which was about as primitive as you can get with graphics and still <laughs> and still have, like, solid polygons. It wasn't, like, just empty vector graphics or something. Uh, but just that experience, even though as primitive as it was... It was so cool. And to finally see a world where we can maybe get like really compelling gaming experiences in our homes, not even have to go out for it, uh, is really encouraging to me. So did you get a chance to see any augmented reality stuff while you were there? I didn't. Not this year. There was some AR there, but I didn't get to test any of it myself, unfortunately. One of the fun parts of going to CES, uh, just on your own, like tag teaming it as a podcaster, is having to do all the B-roll, all the stand-up shots, all the hosting and editing and writing all yourself, and then trying to find a place to upload everything from the show floor. So it's it's very tough to see everything. Um, Plus, this year, I believe... Not only did it encompass like the 40 football fields, that is the Las Vegas Convention Center, but they also had the Sands Venetian Convention Center area as well. Mm -hmm. And they had a bunch of suites that were at other hotels. And it takes like an hour to get to anything at CES. So... While there was a lot that I did get to see, if I made sure to put in a interview request and scheduled a meeting with a company, there was a lot that I did not get to see just because I was so busy. Yeah, no, doing doing CES with a small crew is incredibly challenging. It's 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 almost to the point where 
there's so much to cover. If you haven't done your homework beforehand and hasn't planned out your attack beforehand, you could be paralyzed by choice. As soon exactly. as you walk in, yeah, you're like looking at you're immediately in view are 20 booths and you know there are 120 more booths directly behind the 20 you can see. And they all have stuff beeping and whirring and making noise and moving and flashing. And sometimes there are people who are also beeping and moving. And if you're not lucky, flashing in the area and you just it's it, it becomes incredibly impo- uh, difficult to figure out where to go first. Um, and as you were saying, like uploading Uploading material at CES is no easy task either, just on its own. Finding a signal strong enough for you to be able to get anything out can be a bit of a challenge, uh, just because everything is so connected now. Everything's got a connection to the Internet, either through some dedicated Wi-Fi hotspot or through the cellular networks. And so everything gets overloaded very, very quickly. Yeah, Uh, it's true. Now, the VR sounds like it was pretty awesome. Was there anything else that, that particularly struck you while you were walking around CES? Anything else that was uh, really interesting to you? There were lots of robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's cool. I mean, were they, well, let me ask you this. Were they, were they interesting robots or, cause I've, I've seen both. I've seen robots they were, that. They were interesting. Okay. Um, I saw one robot. It was a piece of luggage. That could follow you around an airport. The unfortunate part, though, was that it doesn't work on carpet and it would disconnect from its user's bracelet. You connect to it via a bracelet that you wear and that's Mm. how it knows where you are and who it needs to follow through an airport. And a lot of times it would just disconnect and then it would lose track of where you are. And then when it reconnects, it tries to hurry up and get to you and then it runs into your legs. So (laughs) it didn't work so well, but I think that... Things like that, if they figure out those connectability issues, mm-hmm. uh, then it could be an awesome product. But uh, unfortunately, with a lot of robots, even LG, LG had an issue during their press event where their robot, its name is Chloe, it's also a voice assistance technology too, uh, that one just did not answer the CEO when he was asking it a question on stage. Yikes. So there were, there were a lot of those little Issues at CES, which most likely had to do with the fact that it's such a um, it's such a huge area with a lot of Wi-Fi technology happening at the same time. So it's inundated by a lot of frequencies happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. But hopefully it's not a problem when it gets to consumers. Well, and we also have to be aware that technology, I mean, we know it because we deal with it all the time. Technology sometimes doesn't work properly. It sometimes just fails because of whatever reason. You know, it may be something very minor that is easy to fix. And the frustrating thing is that can happen when all eyes are on you at CES mm-hmm. because you're you're there on the stage. Cameras, literally cameras from all over the world are on you at that moment. And you just have to hope that your technology works that one time even if it's something where you're like, yeah, 99% of the time it works. Every now and then there's a little bit of a bug that we haven't quite worked out, but uh, that 1% can still happen while you're on stage. And that it doesn't, yes. it doesn't have to be anything other than just bad luck, bad timing. And uh, it's unfortunate because it can, it can then be the dominant part of any conversation moving forward for that particular technology, even though it's not really representative of how it works. And, exactly. Uh, of course, you you probably also, I don't know if you were at CES that year. Were you there the year 
the infamous year where uh, wasn't it Gizmodo where the people had had the universal remotes to turn off televisions during someone's CES presentation. <laughs> that was a yeah, ter- I was there. That's a terrible thing to do. I mean, I know like, that's so mean. I, yeah, I just I well, I put myself in the place of the presenters, right? I think, what if I were up on stage and I'm just about to unveil this thing that teams have been working on for for countless hours to get it ready in time for my presentation. And this is my part where I'm, I got to be up there for 40 minutes and really sell this amazing technology. And then it's just not working. And I don't know that it's not working because someone is actively sabotaging me. And right. I'm like, that. what a horrible thing. I, to this day, I get mad about it. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I think I have, em- I have empathy for presenters. So I would never do that to somebody. I just think it's cruel. Yeah. I, I think if you were, if you're doing it to, I don't know that there's any justifiable time to do it unless you're like at a buddy's house and you're really just messing with them. And afterwards you're like, you know what? You were a good sport. I'm buying you pizza and beer. Then that's okay because you're, you're making, restitution for your horrible prank. But when you're out in the pub, well, not even a public venue, because it's not really a public venue, but a, a a publicly viewable conference, that's just wrong. I mean, it's, it's like bringing rotten tomatoes and cabbages to like an Apple event. You really just shouldn't do that. It's, it's <laughs> there's a time and a place. Um, so do you, do any other robots you wanted to talk about? I, I've, I've seen lots of different ones ranging from, the really complicated looking ones to very simple ones that obviously are, are more like toys. Uh, did you happen to see the Aflac one? The duck? Yes, I did. I did see the Aflac one. So the- they were promoting a really cute little duck that you, that they can bring to uh, hospitals and the like to help, um, help kids deal with emotional troubles and, and the problems that go along with health issues. And it's supposed to be something that helps calm them. And it was really cute. It, it, it would respond to your touch. So like if you pet it or something like that, and it was fluffy so that you can like squish it or hug it or whatever you want, uh, it would respond to that and it would move its neck and things like that. And it was really, really sweet. Um, I also so, saw Sony's, I want to call it the Ibo. Yes, the, the dog. Ibo, yep. Yeah. So they had a new dog and this one has brand new eyes. I believe they were LED or OLED eyeballs and uh, they would blink and they would look at you and it would respond to your touch as well. And it would walk around. It was so cute. So there were some really, really cute robotic technologies at work at the convention center as well. I, I love seeing those. I mean, I, I've been covering that kind of stuff, like some of the some of the companion robots that are meant to help. Uh, either children or sometimes it's the elderly be able to deal with uh, emotional issues, psychological issues, uh, and create some companionship, create a, an outlet for uh, emotional expression. I, I love that aspect because it's something that I don't frequently think about when I think of the term robot. You know, I'm often thinking one of two eventualities. I'm either thinking the practical application of robots and automation, which ultimately results in human beings being displaced from certain types of jobs, or I'm thinking Terminator. Those are usually the only two. <laughs> but thinking about nice robots that are there that that help people deal with really tough situations, it's, right. it's quite inspiring. I agree. Well, let me ask you, you mentioned the, the odd, the somewhat odd uh, uh, incorporation of voice activation in certain products. Did you see anything else that was just weird or un or you thought unnecessary or 
you know, just one of those things where you look at it and you think you think they're trying way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was there was some interesting technology coming out of France. There were a lot of French uh, prototypes that were brought in for some of the press events that mm-hmm. weren't necessarily on the show floor that but they did show up at these press events that um, the press and media can go to uh, during the nighttime, during the evening. Uh, one of them was this. It was a wine fridge or a wine cabinet. Of course it was. And it's, it's a smart connected wine cabinet that can alert you whenever your wine cabinet is empty or you can scan wine bottles that are in your wine cabinet so you can find out other similar wines that you might be interested in. It was very like, Napa-esque, like you have to be somebody who has like 40 different bottles of wine in this wine cabinet to really appreciate how useful it is. And I was just like, I'm not that rich. You know, I can't, I have like one bottle of wine from Trader Joe's in my kitchen right now. Mm. (laughs) And I think it was a $2 one, two buck chuck, I believe it is. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure this wine cabinet is not something that I would ever buy. And it was a little bit ridiculous at the same time. But I was like, maybe, maybe somebody out there wants a connected wine cabinet for some reason. (laughs) Well, did you happen to see and and if not, I'll be sure to explain to the audience what exactly I'm talking about. The weird booth that Netflix had set up that was a viral marketing booth for uh, Altered Carbon. What? No. Oh, my gosh. You Where didn't was see this? this? So on the show floor, at, and I, I don't have the information right in front of me, so I can't tell you which hall it was in. They created a booth that was from a supposed biotech company that was working on human cloning. And they had uh, these giant tubes set up with uh, with essentially mannequins, but designed to look very, very realistic, at least from a distance of people floating in these tubes. Uh, and it was supposed to all be about uh, transmitting your consciousness into another form. And they even had uh, representatives doing sort of a techno babble speech about the technology around it. Turns out it was all a marketing ploy for a series that's based off a cyberpunk novel called Altered Carbon. It's coming out on Netflix. And so when I was looking for weird things that were happening at CES, this popped up and I thought, what the heck is going on here? Like, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. And um particularly for CES, because that's just not it's not it's a trade show. It's not a it's not a fan show. It's not a genre convention. Right. It's not like a comic right. con or a dragon con or anything like that. So to see some company come out with promoting a. Uh, a series, a, a a web series, or a you know a television series at CES is is pretty unusual. You don't typically see that there. Uh, I'm sad. Yeah, you, that's strange. I'm sad you didn't get to see it, but uh, The Verge has a great rundown on it, so you'll have to go to The Verge and check it out. Because once you see what it looks like, you're going to think, "Man, I wish I had known that was there while I was there." <laughs> uh, I I hate to give you that after you've come back, but. It's definitely something you should check out. Everyone listening to this should look at it because it is – it's a head-scratcher for me because – <laughs> I'll read up on it. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you see it and you think this is this is clearly not the purpose of what CES – you know, what CES is all about. It's – you know, it's it's so weird to see a promotion for a fictional work at a trade show. It just is not the – it doesn't – it's a square peg – in a round hole. It's so weird. But 
was there anything that you noticed missing? As in other words, uh, were there any technologies that had in previous years had a lot of representation at CES that maybe you just didn't really see as much of this year? Um, there were two that stood out to me. One was 3D TVs, which I saw none of. They were nowhere to be found at all. Everyone's given up on 3D televisions, which is fine by me. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I also noticed that there wasn't that much as far as security and privacy. Um, and what I mean by that is there were still companies that were promoting these like little boxes that you can plug into your router and there's supposed to be a physical firewall for your entire house. There's there's still things like that. But there were still a lot of companies that just don't care about security or privacy. Like I would go up to a booth and be like, cool, this looks neat. What kind of encryption protocols are you are you using? And they would not be able to answer me at all. And then I'd be like, OK, well, is your CTO here? And they'd be like, oh, well, no. And I'd just be like, well, you need to learn these questions because I'm going to ask them every single year. And eventually y'all need to answer. I won't promote your your technology. I won't even want to touch it mm-hmm. uh, unless it secures my devices. Um, there was a little bit of and of course, it's Las Vegas, so you're going to see a little bit of it. There were some adult toys that were connected uh, at the convention center as well. And those, uh, basically, unless it's listed on internetofdongs.com, which is a definite thing. Wow. Uh, my my friend w- runs that website. He's an information security professional, and he runs this website for, <laughs> for adult toys. Uh, unless it's listed on that site as being secure, I wouldn't even consider something like that because those those devices need to be secure because they run such a huge risk of being intercepted and being used for something that you definitely don't want them to be used for. So there's there's still a lot of concern when it comes to security and privacy from technology, especially emerging technology and emerging companies. And I'm still not getting the answers that I want as somebody who is such a proponent for security and privacy myself uh, that I would need for me to actually start reviewing these products on my show. Well, and we were talking earlier about voice activation. Clearly, there's been ongoing conversations literally, about security with voice, any sort of voice activation, uh, particularly ones that become active very, very quickly. You know, there's no physical pushing a button to activate the device. You just use a a call phrase, which tells you, well, there's clearly an active microphone. Otherwise, there's no way for it to react when you say the call phrase. And then that brings up the questions of, all right, well, what's happening passively in the background when I'm not actively calling out and giving a command, what is happening? How much of my conversation is getting picked up? Uh, is any of that going anywhere? Is it being analyzed? If so, for what purpose? Uh, is that laid out in the terms of service that no one reads and everyone agrees to? And then they just, it happens. And then the excuse the company has is, well, it's in the terms of service and you agreed to it. So yeah. it's tough. Uh, and I mean, th- to me, like that, I knew that that was going to be something you would look into because that's that's your focus and you are really passionate about uh, information security. And I agree with you. Like when I've gone year over year over year, uh, the emphasis always is on we found out this cool way where we can do X. And it's usually three years later, like, oh, we found a secure way where we can do X. Yeah, exactly. But we've totally not been secure for the last three years that we've been doing it. So (laughs) – 
uh, yeah, that, that is something. And, and considering the high profile nature of various information security breaches that we've seen over the last couple of years, you would think that there'd be more of a focus on that. Even, even when you think it, you know, the, the life cycle of developing a product can be a year or longer, you would expect to at least start seeing that stuff get rolled out from the get go. And yet we're still seeing companies really dragging their feet on it, possibly because maybe the, maybe the, the attitude is until something catastrophic happens, it's not our problem. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, a lot of the companies that I would speak to, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, they would get somewhat defensive when I would ask them about uh, if they do third party auditing or if they have an infosec uh, um, genre like for their for their company, if they have something that you know, somebody that checks their their privacy every single day or checks their network to make sure there's no uh, vulnerabilities in it every day, something like that. Uh, and unfortunately, when a company gets defensive about those kind of uh, questions, which they should be very open about, they should be very transparent about their security and privacy uh, protocols behind the scenes, then I just don't, I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate that this is still an issue, and I wish that it wasn't, but it still is. And that kind of leads me into one final thing I wanted to talk about. This is not a fun thing to talk about, but I think it's an important one. And that is, uh, so over the last couple of years in particular, but definitely it's been an ongoing issue, uh, we've seen a lot more discussion about things like a code of conduct at various uh, gatherings, conventions, more and more of them are incorporating codes of conduct to explain exactly what sorts of behavior will absolutely not be tolerated by the entity throwing that convention or event uh, and saying, you know, we expect if you're attending that you are going to behave according to this code of conduct. And if you don't, then you're going to be kicked out. It's just the way it works because we want this to be a safe environment. Uh, leading into CES, one of the notable stories, unfortunately, was that the the uh, CEA, the, the group that puts it on, still had not formed any kind of code of conduct, that there was nothing from an organizational standpoint to support that kind of thing, which seems particularly negligent in an era where this sort of conversation is taking more and more of the spotlight. It does. It's, um, it was very concerning because I, I saw some articles being posted after I had gotten to Vegas that were like, Hey, there's still no code of conduct at CES whatsoever. And there is also, there were no female keynote speakers whatsoever mm. either for any of the main stages. There were female speakers for some of the smaller stages, some of the niche audiences, but there weren't any for their main stages. And that's a huge drawback when it comes to such a huge convention, uh, especially since We've been working so hard, it's myself included in the past year, for more gender equality. Um, women have never had such a huge foothold in technology as men have. And it's unfortunate, you know, ever since I was a little kid. Um, when I went to DEF CON this year, 
that same week, I decided to post a YouTube video on my personal channel that was talking about how I was groped at a hacker convention three years ago. And it took me three years to finally go public about it and be like, hey, this is what happened. And the convention it happened at did not have a code of conduct in place. So when I went to that convention about this information, which I wasn't going to report it in the first place because I was so shocked mm-hmm. at it happening because the person that did it was an acquaintance. Um, the only reason I did is because my one of my lady friends was like, yeah, you should report that because that's messed up. And I was like, OK, I'll talk to somebody about it. So I reported it, but they didn't know what to do. So the guy didn't get banned until the next year. And the only reason he got banned. So he he ended up coming back, uh, which made me extremely uncomfortable, especially since the company I was working with was giving them money as a sponsorship, mm. uh, which was really messed up. But since uh, he was allowed back, it made me feel so much more uncomfortable to go back there uh, because I felt vulnerable. And I did not like being made to feel vulnerable in in a place that is not my normal place you know it wasn't my house it wasn't my office space it was a hotel in vegas uh where most of the attendees are males and are not people that i know personally so having eventually that convention did place a code of conduct in place for their convention. And the person who did this was banned along for an, a number of other reasons. Uh, so now I feel safe going back there because I know that I have a way to report things on it. And I know if I do report them, they'll actually be taken care of. Yeah. And uh, that's the reason why when I went to CES and I saw they didn't have a code of conduct, I felt so taken aback. It's such a huge convention. It's such a huge uh, association with so much money behind them, so many attendees going, and having so many attendees go that are mostly male. It's a male-dominated industry, obviously. Uh, we need to have some kind of foothold in the industry for, for women and for minorities so that we do feel safe. Now, while I understand code of conducts are not going to keep people from doing things, it does allow us as people who might end up being victimized in some way, even though we don't want to be victims, it it gives us a way to report things. It allows us to understand exactly what we can do and know that if we say something, that then something will be acted upon, like something will actually get done if we say something. it, It sends the message that you matter. Right. I mean, yes, like, exactly. Like without it, it seems, you know, without it to me, it seems like it's almost sending the message that they're complicit in any behavior that would otherwise violate such a code of conduct because there it's, it's almost a look the other way kind of, of mentality, which is incredibly dangerous for anyone who's attending such a, an, a, an event. I, it gets me really upset because I have seen incidents at various types of different uh, uh, conventions and, and events and parties, that kind of thing, that absolutely should not have happened. And once they did happen, should absolutely be handled swiftly and uh, decisively. And to see CES kind of dragging its feet on this issue is more than a little problematic. I remember years ago when I first started going uh some of the the some of my uh peers over at CNET some of the the women working for CNET were chatting and they were saying uh you know one of the few benefits 
of being at CES and being a woman was that she never had to worry about a line in the restroom. And she was being very sardonic about it because she's like, this is, <laughs> this is literally the one good thing. I've said the same exact thing. Yeah. And uh, whereas as, as a man uh, in a convention center filled with literally a hundred thousand other men, uh, the same cannot be said of the men's room. But at the same time, I'm also not in a group that tends to be singled out for victimization. I mean, it's just it's it's a very frustrating thing to see. Uh, I keep hoping that they will address this and and make it clear that it's supposed to be a safe place and that they've got your back if something does happen. Um, you know, CES is also one of those places where it kind of fostered that male dominant mentality for a really long time. I don't know how it was this past year, but I remember when I started going, the whole uh, booth babe uh, situation was really kind of out of control while I was there. And that booth babes by this, I mean that different groups had gone out and uh, ordered or or had gone out and hired people, uh, women to dress in scanty uh, outfits and then um, try and entice people into the booths. And it was in a, it was done in such a way as to sexualize products that were not overtly meant for that purpose. And uh, it, it created kind of a seedy atmosphere, I would say, in certain areas mm-hmm. of the floor. I've seen less of that the last few times I've gone. Occasionally you'll find a booth or whatever that still kind of engages in this. But for the most part, it's it's definitely toned down some, which I think is a good a good trend but it does seem like CES is one of those places where that that uh, more primitive idea of this is technology, this is this falls within the realm of masculinity, still seems to to have a few anchor points, and that's uh, that's problematic. But yeah, it's it's definitely still a thing. Like I saw some of the the quote unquote booth babe uh, attire happening this year as well. Mm-hmm. I even saw it at one of the press events I went to, which uh, somebody else wrote about uh, the fact that there were some women who were hired to simply be there and hand out tote bags and they were dressed as cheerleaders. I know, so they had I cheerleader know exactly uniforms. which event that is because it's the yep. same every year. Yep, it's the same exact one every single year. Yep. The only year I went and I really enjoyed it was when they did the Wizard of Oz theme. Yeah. Year. And then they had people dressed up, like there was a guy dressed up as the Tin Man and there was a girl dressed up as the Wicked Witch. And then it was like, it was like being in a cosplay experience, yeah. which is very different from dressing up strictly women in cheerleader uniforms because you're doing a football thing, which is for men. Yeah. <laughs> now I do like football, but why aren't why there were no men there dressed up as quarterbacks? Right. Like what I'm missing out. Yeah. You know? No, I mean I so. I'm, I'm on your side on this one, Shannon. Totally. I I agree. I uh I remember the Wizard of Oz event. I also remember they did a weird zoo one one year where people were dressed up like animals. Uh what? But that might have been a different I wanna say it was the same one we're talking about. I missed uh, out on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll send you I'll send you links. Uh but uh, it was another weird one. But yeah, Wizard of Oz I remember because I got a tin of mints for my friend Mandy because she's that's, oh, her, that's, that's her cool. favorite film of all time. Well, I mean, I here's hoping that we can see CES catch up and and create a formal code of conduct. Um I hope that the pressure will continue to be on the organization to do so so that they can send out that message that this is in fact a space where 
we want it to be safe for everybody. It's it's a uh, a very business oriented trade event, and therefore right. there's no place for this kind, you know, any kind of of uh, harassment or policy where we look the other way. Uh, Shannon, thank you so much for joining the show. Please tell everyone where they can find all your wonderful work. Thank you. I really appreciate um, you inviting me on to be on your show too, Jonathan. It was awesome. It's always awesome to talk to you, especially since we're on other coasts. You can find all of my info over on Twitter. I'm at snubs, S-N-U-B-S, or you can follow all of my tech stuff that I am doing over on TechThing. It's T-E-K-Thing.com. Shannon, thanks again. And uh, you take care of yourself. Get better, okay? (laughs) Thank you. I want to thank Shannon for coming on the show. She's always a joy to uh, talk to, and I really appreciate her input on what she saw at CES. Obviously, there's a ton of other things that were on display at the show. Lots of technology from automotive technology to audio to virtual and augmented reality to things that are pretty mundane, you know, light switches, things like that, but still important. And uh, while I didn't go this past year, uh, it's okay. I'm not sweating it, but I do hope I can go back sometime in the future, see what else is coming out. It's always an interesting energy that's at the show. And I'm sure that as 2018 unfolds, I'll cover more of the technologies that were on display at CES 2018 in greater detail. Uh, For example, there was this amazing modular Samsung television called The Wall, apparently, and that Sounds crazy to me, so I should look into that. But if you guys have any suggestions for things I should cover in future episodes, maybe it's technology that was on display at CES, or maybe it's something totally unrelated. But still, you know, in the world of tech, let's not go crazy. Send me a message. Let me know what I should talk about. Or if there's someone you want me to interview or a guest host you would like to have on the show, let me know about that as well. My email address for the show is techstuffathowstuffworks.com. Or you can draw me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle of both of those is TechStuffHSW. You can also f- check us out on Instagram. Our, uh, our, our marketing and social guru, Crystal, is killing it over there. She's doing a great job. So go check out our Instagram account. And remember, you can listen to me record these episodes live and you can watch me and, and you can... You can insult me. Please don't insult me. But you can participate in the chat room live with me every Wednesday and Friday. Just go to twitch.tv slash techstuff. You'll see the schedule there. And uh, I love chatting with you guys. I hope more of you show up in the future. And I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 